All right, so the message. <clears throat> did I say who I was? Yeah. I did. Okay, good. So I'm, I'm Matt, just so you know. I forget who I am all the time. What am I doing here? I'm preaching. I oh, know. No, I am, I am uh, assistant pastor here. I have a privilege of being assistant pastor. I also am the director of worship ministries. That's a, that's a title. So I run, the, I run the worship team, which is an absolute privilege. What a, I'm just so blessed by the guys that are part of that ministry. I'm actually blessed by all the ministries in this church, to be completely honest. And if you're not in one, I'd encourage you to do that. Anyway, getting distracted again. Stop it. Um, Neil shared with us last week on, on the topic of self-control. Who was here for last week? I felt like Neil was just sort of standing up here, pointing, I was up the back and he was just pointing at me and I, if I can say this, he's pointing at my wife, Alison. <laughs> Love you, babe. Um, we were talking about controlling the tongue. I think on, on our, Neil and I do a podcast, we we're talking about controlling the tongue. That was one of those moments where you know, maybe I should have had a bit more self-control. Um, but it was a great message, and, and if you missed it, I want to encourage you to, to get on our website and get on our podcast, and I'm having all sorts of trouble with this headset. Either my ears are too small, or yours are too big, or the other way around. Anyway, if you missed it, I want to encourage you to get on our website, so ccfnt.org.au, and then there's a media area, and you can jump on there, and you can listen to me, me and Neil have a, a chat every Wednesday called Cornerstone Conversations. Um, or you can go on our YouTube. We're on YouTube, we're live streaming, so the message is on YouTube after Wednesdays. If you search up Cornerstone Christian Fellowship NT, you'll find it there too. Get on it, subscribe, click the little, is it a little thumb? I'm getting distracted again, aren't I? Neil, Neil preached to us about self-control and there's been this word that God has been stirring in my heart over the last number of weeks before he even brought that message and that's the word self. You know, this, this word is everywhere in the world around us. The society we live in is all about self. And so as I was, as I was preparing just the other night, I, I jumped on my, on my computer, on my Google machine and I typed in self apostrophe to see what would come up. And the first result that came up was a word, self-compassion. That took me a little bit by surprise. I thought there'd be something else there, but, but self-compassion. So the curiosity got the better of me, and I clicked on the link to see what it would say, and I was presented with a website that provided workshops and training and resources on self-compassion, and this is their tagline. With self-compassion, we give ourselves the same kindness and care we'd give to a good friend. Does that scare you a little bit? We, with self-compassion, we give ourselves, ourselves, the same level of kindness and care we give to a good friend. You know, that's, that's the, the first result that came up on my Google search, and I know Google does all sorts of fancy things to make my search different to yours, and and all of that kind of thing. But that is essentially the world we are living in. We are living in this world of self that seems to take priority over everything else. And, and I, you know, I think we need to be careful that we, we don't allow this type of self-focus to get in the way of what we're here for. You know, self-control that Neil was talking about last week is great. But focusing on self 
is a very, very slippery slope. You know, we, we are gathered here today because of God. We are here for God. The only reason that we are here is because of God and what he has done. You know, God is, is the constant and God is the purpose. You know, in, in Revelation 1.8, God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the one who, who is, who always was and who is still to come. The Almighty One. You know, God is the only constant in all of this and God is the purpose for us gathering together here today. You know, we are, we are here at Cornerstone and, and Cornerstone is all about God, which I'm really grateful about because our purpose statement, it says that, that, that we are here to share God's message of life and we're here to lead people into God's family and teach them to grow in faith and love and equipping them to share his message wherever they go, wherever they are. Maybe that should be go. No? Ah, okay. But do you notice that it is God's message of life and it is God's family and it is God's message that we share and it all belongs to God. You know, we are, we are here to love God, to share the fact that God loves each one of us and we're here to do life together and to grow together and, and honour each other and, and honour God and worship God and, and help others do the same. You know, this is, this is a very different focus from what we were talking about just before. This is, this is not focus on self. This is, this is focus on God. But I just want to encourage us a little bit this morning if we struggle with this concept of self-focus is that focusing on self like the world is now is not something new. And, there, and there's an account in the Old Testament that I'm going I'm to give you the map version because it's quite a lengthy bit of, of scripture and, and it's found in, in 1 Samuel and a bit in 2 Samuel and I want to encourage you to go home and I want you to read through this story but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you a brief narrative rundown of what took place. And so the story begins where, um, or it's set when, so the, the Israelite nation has lost its way and it's not the first time, it actually happened a few times through the Old Testament, but in, but in this account, they, the Israelites find themselves in the Promised Land. You know, God has led them out of slavery in Egypt and through the Red Sea, and He's sustained them for, for 40 years in the wilderness, and, and then He's led them to victory after victory as they conquered the land that they now lived in. And so this story takes place when there's this high priest, and he goes by the name of Eli. And so the high priest is someone who is, is appointed... Um, by God and, and through his family line to, to go into the Holy of Holies, that special place set aside just for the high priest and God and, and it's where the presence of God was found and it was where the Ark of the Covenant, this box that contained the Ten Commandments among other things was held. And then Eli, who was the high priest, had these, has these sons and, and they were also priests and, and in this reading we, they are described as scoundrels. They have no respect for God or their priestly duties that they're supposed to fulfil and, and in fact they were taking advantage of, of the role and the privilege and they were abusing the power that they had and they would, they would take meat from the sacrifices as they came in and, and 
and eat them themselves rather than going through the process of sacrifice. And in fact, they were even taking the meat away and it wasn't even being sacrificed at all. And they were just abusing the power that they had. And so Eli comes to them and he confronts them and, and they just ignore him, completely ignore him. They're so focused on self. And then in, in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, the Philistines are attacking the Israelites. They seem to do that quite a bit through the Old Testament. And so, so there's this, this, this battle going on and, and Isra- the Israelite army loses the battle and 4,000 soldiers die in the process. And they, uh, they, the ones that survive come back to camp and they are absolutely amazed that God allowed them to be defeated. And so they have a little chat, they get all their leaders together and, and they decide, oh no, let's, let's go and get the Ark of the Covenant. Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant to the battle. And so they go and they get this box and they, and they, they bring it to the battle and, and it has to be carried by the priests and so when they went to collect it, the Eli's sons were part of the group that came and brought the ark to the battlefield. And so the ark arrives in the camp and the Israelites are excited and, and it says there's this huge shout and it shakes the ground because they are so excited that the, the ark of the covenant is there. And the, and the Philistines hear the commotion and they, they sort of send someone to see what's going on and they find out that the ark of the covenant is there and they are afraid because they've heard the stories, they know what's happened, they've seen the defeats in the past of this, this God of Israel, our God, who, who enables them to win every victory that they come into. And so this fills the Philistines with this desire and determination, we are not going to be captive to the Israelites and so we're just going to fight as hard as we can. And so the next day a battle takes place and again the Israelites are defeated but this time they lose 30,000 men including the two sons of Eli and to make matters worse, the Ark of the Covenant is captured. And so a messenger manages to escape from the battlefield and he goes running back to where the Ark has come from and he finds Eli the high priest who was sitting by the roadside waiting to hear news of the battle and he's old and he's blind and this messenger comes and tells him what's happened. We've lost 30,000 men. Your sons have been killed and we've lost the Ark of the Covenant. And he falls backwards on his chair and breaks his neck and dies. All in all, not a great couple of days for Israel. You know, God, God had allowed the Philistines to, or Philistines to win the battle and the ark was captured. Why? Because the Israelites had actually lost sight of who God was and they were more focused on who they were. You know, they, remember they were God's chosen nation. You know, they, they had the ark of the covenant and it had protected them and provided for them before and all of the things that they had experienced but there was, there was one thing missing. They had turned their eyes away from God and onto themselves. And I was looking at this, and, and every battle that the Israelites faced up to this point, every time they had a challenge, God was the focus. God was present. The Israelites would gather and they would pray and they would worship and they would seek God for wisdom and direction. And yet, in this account, there was none of that. 
there was no focus on God at all. It was on themselves. It was like, oh, we've got the Ark of the Covenant, let's go and get that because we're God's chosen people. And as we've heard, the results were catastrophic. And so I guess the question for us today is what are we focusing on? You know, in those moments of our lives when when things get tough, when we're experiencing challenges and battles of life, who and what are we focusing on? Where are we going to seek our our wisdom and our direction? You know, are are we so focused on ourselves and are we... Are we, so fo- or are we so focused on the person or the, the situation that is going on or the person that's offended us or whatever the case might be or, or how hard done by we are or are we seeking God in, in the circumstance that we find ourselves in? Are we, are we looking to honour and glorify Him no matter what? Now, I want to I leave that story there for a minute and I'm going to jump forward to an account in the New Testament. And we can read that in, in John 12, 1 to 11. And it's a, a story you're probably familiar with. And it says, Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. And a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honour, and Martha served, and, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor because he was a thief and, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. And Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man that Jesus had raised from the dead. And then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. There is so much crammed into this passage. So much that we can learn and be challenged by. You know, here, here is Jesus back, back in the house of his friend Lazarus, the man that he had raised from the dead. And Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, are there. And, you know, there's, a, there's another account that you may be familiar with, with Mary and Martha and Jesus, where, where Martha is busy serving and Mary isn't doing anything. And yet here we are again, and obviously they have learnt from that previous encounter with Jesus because Martha is still busy serving, using her obvious gifts and abilities of service, And Mary is still sitting at the feet of Jesus, although this time she is honouring him with the most extravagant act of worship by anointing him with expensive perfume. Judas, he's there and he's offended because of Mary's act of worship, because it's so wasteful. You know, because he's really just focused on himself and, and what he could have had. If that money had gone into to his care, he'd, you know, he'd be able to do all of these things, but instead he's just thinking about the waste. 
And then Lazarus is there and he's, he's had this incredible miracle. He's received this incredible miracle. He's been raised back to life after being dead for three days or more. You know, when he was raised to life, he, he was a bit smelly. And he's had this incredible miracle. Can you imagine that? You were dead and you've been brought back to life. Would you not be like super ecstatic? You know, God has given me this miracle and because of that, the lead priests want to kill him. Because they were worried about all the people that they were losing to Jesus and Lazarus was the cause of that. You know, there, there is significant challenge for us in this passage because, you know, we need to realise, just as Mary and Martha did, that there is different roles and responsibilities and abilities in what we do for God. You know, like I said before, unlike, unlike that previous encounter with Jesus, you know, where Martha was offended because Mary wasn't helping, you know, we see Martha expressing the way that she was able to honour and worship Jesus by serving him and the others at a dinner. And Mary with this extravagant act of worship. You get what I'm saying here? We have different abilities, we have different gifts and we need to use them to honour God. You know, the, the, there are different ways that we do that. And we can each individually to res- respond to God in different ways. You know, Mary felt compelled to honour Jesus in this incredibly extravagant way. You know, it's a, it's a year's worth of wages that she, she poured out on his feet. But she wasn't there to show off. She wasn't there to go, hey, look at me. Her intentions were pure. She was there to honour and glorify and worship Jesus. She was not seeking attention. She was not trying to make herself look good, but her focus was on Him and Him alone. You know, I want to encourage us to express our love and our worship of God however we feel like that needs to be. I want us to be in this place where we're not being critical of what others do especially when it doesn't fit with our frame of mind and how we think it should be done. You know, Judas, Judas was offended because that was vast amounts of money that he could have had for himself and he was missing out because he was focused on himself. And so I just, I just want to encourage us to be in that space of guarding our hearts and our attitudes because there are times that we come together and we can have that Judas-type attitude. You know, I'm, I know I'm guilty of that. Or we can have that old Martha-type attitude. Oh, you know, that person's not helping out. Why are they not helping out? I'm doing all the work here. Excuse me, look at me, I'm doing all the work here and why is no one else helping me out? You know, there are situations where we might not approve of what's being done or what's being, or not being done or, you know, we're so busy thinking about ourselves that we actually miss the incredible things that God is doing. You know, because we're so focused on self that we, we miss what God is doing. You know, as I, as I said at the start of the message, God is our focus. You know, and there is a, there is a, a danger 
that we can, we can lose that focus on God and we can, and we can turn that focus onto ourselves. You know, there's, even, there's even a danger in the way that we read the Bible. You know, where we, where we read the Bible as if it is just full of God's promises for me. You know, when we, we open it, we have this perspective that is purely to see what God's promise is for me. What is God's promise for me today? And then the next day. And then the next day. What is God going to do for me in my situation? And then, and then we begin to think that it's, that it's all just about God's promises for me. And, you know, we read a bit in the Bible about how, how Jesus is going to heaven and he's preparing a place for us. And, of course, that house is just for me. And, a, and the cross that we heard about in communion, you know, that's, that's for me. And, and Jesus came to earth for me and, and he gave his life for me and, and his blood was certainly for me. And, and then I, I come here to church and, well, you know, that's definitely for me. You know, and we can begin to evaluate everything from this me self perspective and, and, and we walk out of church thinking, you know, yeah, that was good today or, you know, wow, that was amazing or, or maybe hmm, that one really didn't do it for me today because surely this is all about me. You know, I'm, I'm here, I've made the effort, I've got out of bed and, and I turned up and I want a good coffee when I get here and I, I want the music to be good and I want to hear a message that encourages me. You know, and I, I like it when we do these particular songs, but I don't really like that one. And I like it when these people are here, but not when, when that person turns up, because this is all about me, right? This is all about me. You know how wrong that is? You know, this is not about us at all. This is not about self. This is about God, and, and it's all for Him. This is for the one who was in the beginning and the one who is here right now and the one who's going to be there in the end. Who we are should be all about Him. He is our focus. God is our focus and it can be so easy to slip. So guard your heart. And guard your mind and fix your focus on God. You know, just, just going back to that passage about, about Mary and, and anointing Jesus with perfume. I love how it says in this passage that when she broke that jar of perfume, that the house was filled with fragrance. You know, every person in the house, every person that was attending that dinner would have smelt the fragrance of that perfume that was being poured out and anointing Jesus. And that smell would have permeated their clothing. It would have been on their skin. And they would have left that dinner with that perfume still on their clothes and still on their skin. And I hope that's exactly what it's like when we gather together. That we aren't focused on self, 
that we are focused 100% on God and that our worship and our fellowship and our gathering together and everything that we produce is a sweet fragrance to God. And we leave this place with that fragrance on us and it go, we go out into the community and there is a noticeable difference in who we are. Because our focus is not on God. Our fo- sorry, our focus is not on self. Our focus is on God. And you know what? God doesn't need us to be involved with his plans. He doesn't need us to succeed because there is nothing that is impossible for God. He doesn't doesn't require us to fulfill his plans. And, And if we go back to that story that I talked about at the start in the Old Testament... If you continue to read that on in 1 Samuel, you'll find that, that the Philistines, they, they had the ark and they captured it and they took it back to their home city. And everyone that lived in that city had terrible tumours. And they put the ark into, into a temple that housed their God. And they came in in the morning and that statue of the God was face down before the ark. And so they stood it back up and the next day they came in and this time it was fallen over and the head and the hands were outside the front door. And so they said, what are we going to do? And so they moved it to another town and the same thing happened. People got these terrible tumours and so they moved it again and the people there got terrible tumours and then they also started to die. And so they're like, what are we going to do? We've got to get rid of this thing because this is God of Israel. And so they loaded the ark onto a cart and they sent it on its way back to the Israelites. And it made a beeline straight there with no human interaction, just two cows on the front pulling this cart straight to where God needed it to be. There was no one involved in that. There was no human interaction with that to get that to happen because nothing is impossible for our God. You know, so why are there times that we think that God is only able to work if we do a particular thing a particular way. You know, I want to encourage us again just to fix our eyes on God and watch Him work. And you know, there's, if, you, if you continue to read that story, and I encourage you to do that, you know, the, the ark comes back to the Israelites and they celebrate. But they'd still lot that lost that focus on God. And so some of these dudes, they go up and they, and they decide, oh, we're going to have to have a look in the ark to make sure that everything is there. And 70 men died because as soon as they touched the ark, God killed them because their focus was not on him. 70 people. You'd think they'd get the hint after maybe five. but it was because they were so focused on themselves. They were so eager to be that one who got to look inside. They'd forgotten who God was. And so the ark remained where it was for 20 years and it blessed everyone in the household where that ark was stored. And then in 2 Samuel, David becomes king of Israel and he unites the country together and he establishes Jerusalem as the capital and and he moves the ark he wants to move the ark back to Jerusalem and so he gets it and he puts it on, they put it on a, on a cart the same way that the Philistines had and, and they begin to bring it to Jerusalem and it hits a bump and the ark's going to fall off so a man reaches out and puts his hand on it to steady it and he dies. Again, 
The focus was missing from God. And so the ark stays where it was and, and David goes back to Jerusalem. And then he thinks about it and he realizes the ways that God intended for that ark to be carried and the ways that needed to be used to to successfully move that ark and so they start off with the right way they put rods in the side in the special holes that were there for the poles to go in so they could carry it and the priests were carrying it and they pick it up and they walk six steps and David says hang on a minute and they put it back down and he makes a sacrifice and he worships God and he builds an altar and he fixes his gaze on God And then he worships and he dances all the way back to Jerusalem. And I want to encourage us today just to be on guard, to protect our attitudes and our focus. To stop fixating on self and fix our eyes on him. Amen. Let's just pray. Lord God, again, I just thank you that you are the Alpha and the Omega, that you are the first and the last that you were there in the beginning and that you are here right now with us and that you are going to be there in the end. And God, I want to to pray for each one of us this morning that, that as we pray, that you would be our focus. And, and in those moments where our thoughts and our attitudes are, are turned inwards to ourselves, God, that, that you would recapture our attention. God, we don't want to miss what you're doing because we're so focused on self. And I want to thank you that we have the privilege to come and to worship together. God, I pray that we wouldn't miss what you are doing in every aspect of our lives. And God, I thank you that you are active and at work in this place. And I I pray that you would use us for your purposes. For your purposes. Not for ours, for yours. For your glory, for your honour. Because this is all about you, God. Amen. Amen. Now, I know this morning I have talked a lot about how this isn't about us and that this is about God. But the thing is that this incredible God invites us into his story, into his plans, and and he wants us to be part of that. You know, he has plans and purposes for us. And he wants us in it and he, and he did everything that he could so that that could happen. He sent his son Jesus to die for us so that we can be forgiven, so that we can join his family and we can be part of his eternal plans. You know, Jesus died so that we could be forgiven and that we could be brought into these plans that God has. And so maybe you are here today and you have not accepted Jesus into your heart. You know, you've not accepted that that offer of being in relationship with him and being brought into this incredible plan and into this incredible story that God has. And so if you want to do that, I want to invite you just to pray a simple prayer with me right now. Let's just pray again. Lord God, I thank you that you love me and you sent Jesus to die for me. Lord God, please forgive me for my sin. And I thank you, Jesus, that you died and you rose again for me. And I want to invite you into my life. And I thank you that I'm forgiven. Amen. So we're going to close with worship. 
And as always, if you want prayer or you need anything up the front, please come and I want to pray with you. And there's others here that would love to pray with you. So let's just sing as we, as we close our service. Bless you guys.